0: The world is experiencing something unprecedented in my lifetime, in most people's lifetime. Of course, I feel nervous and scared and panicked and confused and unmotivated. Of course. Getting Discomfortable With panic. I've been putting off the recording of this podcast because (laughs) what am I supposed to say? Assuming that you're not listening to this episode from some point in the future where we have completely overcome the COVID-19 pandemic, you are probably feeling something similar to what I am, which is waves of panic, waves of fear, waves of grief as you slowly let go of increasing amounts of normalcy. I don't know if this is what you've experienced, but for me it was like, oh, so things aren't going to be quite normal. Oh, well, that sucks. And then the next day, it's like, oh, actually, things are going to be way less normal. I have to give up on this expectation. I have to give up on this plan. I have to give up on this hope. It's this process each day of gradually coming to acceptance and letting go of all of these big plans and ideas and expectations for what the year was going to hold. And with each letting go, there is grief and sadness, of course. And then there's also these waves of curiosity and kind of thrilled, anxious excitement in a way and waves of eerie calm and acceptance and sometimes even waves of kind of uh, uh, surrender where you're like, all right, just fuck it. (laughs) Fuck it. Fuck it all. And you kind of just like relax into this lower expectation. I, I don't know about you, but... Uh, you know, the, some of the pressures that I had on myself about, you got to make sure you're always doing this, and you got to keep that up, and got to make sure you, you got this going on. All of that's just like, whatever, whatever, fuck it. I've definitely experienced some waves of hopelessness, some waves of what's the point some waves where I just couldn't be motivated to get out of bed or do anything other than scroll through Twitter looking at terrifying diagnostics of the future. But then there's also something strangely equalizing about it to recognize that we are all in this together and it doesn't matter how rich or how famous you are or what country you're in or what race you are or how successful or how attractive. Everyone is equal when it comes to this virus. It doesn't care who you are. And that's so true. That's like such a necessary message in our culture of hierarchy. You know, shame inherently makes us feel different, bad, and alone. And if we're feeling different, bad, and alone, it immediately creates this comparison that someone else or some other people, they're normal and they're good and they're together. So it inherently, like physically, creates a sense of better than and lesser than. And when you're feeling shame, you are feeling lesser than and you have this imaginary sense that someone else out there is better and you want to be better with them. You want to be included. You want to join. You want to be brought up to their level. So I think shame very naturally fuels into a culture of hierarchy. And it makes us think that this concept of status or human value is real. And we have to kind of prove that we are worthy or earn our value by hustling and being successful or being attractive or famous or having a lot of money or whatever value you see as being important in your culture or your in-group. So, so many of us are hustling and climbing, trying to get up higher on the fictional hierarchy of human value. And then this pandemic comes along, this virus comes along, and it says, none of that is true. All of you are the same. All of you are vulnerable. All of you are interconnected. Your health and well-being at the top of this fictional hierarchy is directly connected to the health and well-being of everyone who's supposedly at the bottom. It's terrifying, don't get me wrong. But there's something clarifying as well. It's showing us the illusory nature of status and hierarchy. It's showing us what a bad strategy that is. Any system that doesn't take into account the well-being and health of everyone in that community is suddenly looking like a really bad strategy. As a social animal, we really are all interconnected, both in terms of our physical health, but also our mental health in terms of Our need as a social animal for things like a sense of belonging and community and connection and acceptance and validation and being seen, we all need that, and we all need that from each other. So we're deeply interconnected on multiple levels. And it is my longing that after we get over this pandemic, we remember the lesson of how interconnected we are so that we can basically reshape our society and systems to reflect that truth. And as awful as this situation is, it is a very stark lesson to that effect. So I get some comfort from thoughts like that. But in the present moment, like day to day, I generally feel really unsettled, and I have to remind myself that I am in a transition. This is a kind of mental model or micro-ideology that I've been working with a lot lately, and it's to honor whenever I'm in a transition because that means that I am kind of off-balance you know, in my regular life, I have this kind of equilibrium that I find where I I balance out my sense of purpose and meaning and I, I kind of have some kind of routine or stability and plans and structures and, you know, I just sort of like have my shit together and it, it feels good. But then when something changes, it throws it all out of balance. I lose my equilibrium and I inevitably start to feel unpleasant emotions. And I start to be... Like, this is the thing about emotions is they always feel infinite. When I'm feeling an emotion, it colors the present, the past, and the future. So when I am in a transition, especially a transition into something uncertain or frightful or negative, the unpleasant emotions that come up, the anxiety and panic and fear and uncertainty and shame... It makes it seem like that is my new reality, like that is my new forever. Because X has changed, I am now feeling bad, and I am going to feel bad forever. But the truth is, I'm just in a transition, and a transition is temporary. Even if whatever changed never changes back, we always find our equilibrium, especially if we're consciously aware that we're in a transition and we need to find our equilibrium. So I need to remind myself, not only are all emotions and feelings temporary, but even a transition and that that lack of clarity about where my life is going, even that is temporary. So right now, because of this pandemic, it has deeply affected my sense of purpose and meaning. My work seems kind of pointless. I'm like, Is anybody going to care about shame right now or care about shame after this pandemic is over? There's no question that the world will be a different place when this is all over. And I'm not sure that this topic I've been obsessed with, shame, is going to be as relevant afterwards, as necessary, as useful. So I'm feeling a lot of ambivalence and confusion and uncertainty. And I'm just, I'm sort of, you know, I've lost my identity. I've lost my North Star. And that's very unpleasant and demotivating and depressing. But then I remind myself, you're in a transition. Maybe you're going to pivot and find a slightly new focus that makes more sense and is more helpful for what the world needs right now. Or maybe you're going to discover that there is an angle where shame is going to be useful in this scenario. I don't know what it is because I haven't found my equilibrium yet, but I feel a lot more acceptance, surrender, a lot more contentment, a lot more pleasantness when I honor that I'm in a transition and I know that I am going to find my balance again. And the only reason I'm feeling bad is because it takes time. And this this doesn't just, you know, true for this pandemic. I've been in multiple different levels of transition over the last year. I moved back to Canada, for example. That was a transition. And when I was bored because I wasn't in a new city each month, I had to remind myself, oh right, I'm in a transition here. I'm I'm figuring out how to live in one place. And now that transition is quite resolved because I am relieved to not be traveling the world during this uncertain, volatile period. So these transitions kind of come and go and they ebb and we, I think, as cognitive creatures, just naturally find our way back to an equilibrium that makes sense. And I can kind of hear in the back of my head Buddhists like Pema Chodron chiding me, reminding me that if I never found an equilibrium in the first place, I wouldn't be thrown off by losing it. So I just want to name that there's like another possibility there. There's there's the potential that someday I will accept complete groundlessness and just comfortably lean into the the truth, which is that things are always dynamic and changing, and we never really know what's going to come tomorrow. So, you know, maybe that's a journey that I'm on to get towards really just getting comfortable in the discomfort of groundless uncertainty all the time. But right now, I must admit, I am heartened by the thought that I will find my equilibrium in this challenging pandemic and then I will feel better. And until then, of course, (laughs) of course, I feel nervous and scared and panicked and confused and unmotivated. Of course, that makes complete sense. This brings me to another concept that I've been using a lot lately to deal with the unpleasantness of the situation, and that is simply the phrase, of course. Of course is the gateway drug towards acceptance and self-compassion. Of course is a deceptively simple phrase, but it actually has incredible power. Whenever I feel shame, the first thing I do is put my hand on my chest, on my kind of heart area, and say, of course. Even if I don't know what that of course means, it just right away acknowledges and honors and accepts and embraces that my body is giving me an emotional message about something. And I know that any time my body gives me any emotional message or, or creates any feeling, that there is a reason whether I can see it or not, and that when I know that reason, it will stimulate an, of course, or even a, no wonder. So I just stop when i'm feeling an emotion especially an unpleasant emotion and i often put my hand on my chest and i say of course and then i just feel it i just take a minute and i allow the emotion to work through me this is my body processing this emotion and I, and it takes as long as it takes and you just sort of feel it out you just stop and you just feel it it's like okay how long does this emotion need Sometimes you feel that this emotion actually needs a sob or a few tears or, you know, these emotions kind of need different things in order for our body to regulate them and bring us down from this emotional arousal state back into neutral functioning. And I try to honor that and I try to stay with the emotion until it has been processed by my body. After I say the of course and I feel it, if I don't really know why I felt it, then there's that moment of curiosity. That is when I can start asking some questions about, okay, well, what triggered this? And why did it come up? And like, what exactly is the message that my body is trying to convey here? And the important thing to remember about curiosity is that you have to be very careful to stop your innate negativity bias from answering the questions that curiosity brings up. This is especially important when you are dealing with shame. When you say of course about shame and then move into curiosity because you're not entirely sure what triggered the shame, your negativity bias is going to want to jump in with the worst possible explanations. That's the whole role of your negativity bias. That's why we have a negativity bias. It is there to show us the worst case scenarios so that we are prepared to defend against them. But In the modern world where our survival is all but guaranteed, I don't think there's a lot of utility to letting your negativity bias answer the curiosity questions of shame. Because those answers are going to be very unrealistic and very unempowering. Your negativity bias is going to say the meanest shit it can think of. It's going to say, oh, you're feeling shame because you're a bad person who did a terrible thing and probably everybody knows it and they're all laughing at you and they're mocking you and they don't want to be friends with you anymore. You never should have said that. You never should have dressed like that. It's probably because of the way you look or maybe it's because of the way you smell. Like Your negativity bias will stop at no lengths to let you know every possible way that you could have royally fucked up everything. And I just don't think that that is extremely useful. So to avoid your negativity bias, when you use curiosity, only ask questions about the situation and about yourself and what you're feeling that you can 100% answer yourself. So if the questions are, well, what did that person think of me? Or how did they interpret this? Or anything that is someone else's perspective or thought or opinion. You either go directly to that person and say, hey, I would love if you could answer these questions that are coming up for me. Are you upset? Did I insult you? Whatever the question might be. And if you can get an answer directly from the person, then that is a great way to stop your negativity bias from filling in the blanks. But if you can't, it's really important to just not go there. Your curiosity should be all about yourself. Okay, so why was I triggered? Mm, because I was talking about that thing and then they made that weird look. Okay, so they, that person made a look that I wasn't able to interpret. And I was talking about a subject that I feel a bit sensitive about. So you can already kind of see what the of course is there. Of course, I'm going to feel a bit of shame when someone makes a face that I can't interpret. Of course, my body is designed to react that way. And of course, I'm going to feel a little bit of shame when I find myself talking about something that I don't feel very comfortable talking about. Of course, I'm going to feel shame in that situation. That's very vulnerable for me. So you can use curiosity to get a lot of understanding about yourself and about how you feel, and about what's common and completely understandable and normal for you. And once you have the answer to those of courses, you can let it go. This is how you avoid going into rumination. Rumination is when we keep playing the scenario over and over and over in our head, trying to, like, dissect it from new angles, as if remembering it over and over again will somehow reveal more information about what that other person was thinking when they made that puzzling expression. Rumination is an attempt to, like, get inside the heads of other people or prove to ourselves that we didn't actually do anything wrong. Rumination plus our negativity bias is just a really destructive combo because when you ruminate on that shame, you are actually triggering the shame reaction over and over again. Every time you ruminate on that situation, every time you replay it, the shame comes out again. So when you can use curiosity to just answer questions that you can actually answer You don't need to replay it over and over again, looking for new external information that you can't possibly know because you're not psychic. And avoid answering questions with your negativity bias. Then you you can come to an answer really quickly and feel complete. You're like, oh, yeah, of course I would feel that way. That makes complete sense. And you've already actually kind of laid the groundwork by saying, of course. Of course is just saying this makes sense. And it makes sense for internal reasons. It's about me. It's my shame. And it was stimulated within me. It's not actually about what the other person is thinking. It's about our fears and worries and care about what the other person might be thinking. And that alone is enough to justify and of course. Oh, I don't know what they're thinking. So of course I'm feeling shame. I would love to know that they approved of me or validated me or liked me or desired me. I I would love to know that, but I don't and I can't. So, of course, there's a little bit of shame there in that uncertainty. Did I really connect with this person? Did they really like me? Of course, that's going to stimulate shame. And, of course, is powerful for any negative emotion. Of course, I'm feeling panic right now. The world is experiencing something unprecedented in my lifetime, in most people's lifetime. Of course, I'm going to feel some panic. Of course, I'm going to feel some fear. Of course, I'm going to feel some meaninglessness. It all makes perfect sense. And when I say, of course, to the panic, it stimulates this big, deep breath oh, I'm feeling panic. And I immediately feel myself tightening and and trying to get away from the panic and trying to reject it. I don't want to feel panic. This is scary. And then I stop and I say, oh, right, of course I'm feeling panic right now. Who wouldn't? Uh, By feeling that panic for a second and then saying, of course, my body naturally took this big clearing breath. And with that breath, the panic died down. I'm noticing that depending on the level of an emotion, just saying of course and taking a deep breath is often enough for it to completely pass, for my body to just regulate it and go back to neutral function. But in this situation, being quite extreme, I find that it doesn't always get rid of the panic, but it definitely lessens it. And it's not like I'm in panic all the time. And I think this is a really important thing to remember here. Not only do emotions feel infinite, such that when you're in panic, you feel like that panic is forever. You look at the future through that panic, and the future is colored entirely by that panic. You even look at the past. You remember things that were not panic-ridden, and they feel full of panic because you are feeling panic now. The emotions that we are feeling in the moment color everything as we're feeling them, but they always pass. That's such an important point to remind ourselves of. No matter what you're feeling, no matter how unbearable it seems, not only of course are you feeling it, but it's going to pass. That's the thing about those emotions that say, I can't do this, I can't handle this. We feel like we can't handle it because we're assuming that this is forever. But actually, when we honor that this emotion that we can't handle is temporary, we don't have to handle it. We just have to let it run its course in that moment, and then we will regulate back to normal function. It's when we avoid trying to feel it, when we reject it and try to stop it or numb it through some kind of addictive distraction, that is when it actually does not pass. That is when you get into trauma. You are taking an emotional experience that you don't think you can handle or that you don't want to feel, and you are stopping it. But because an emotional experience is essentially an arousal state, Somewhere in your body, you are basically freezing an arousal state and never allowing it to process. So your body is on hypervigilance in some capacity around a certain trigger or issue. And any time it gets inflamed, you're going to go into that freeze state. So it's actually very dangerous To stop an emotional process. Like, ideally, as adults, we are able to weather those really powerful emotional storms by recognizing that they will pass. Yes, this feeling is overwhelming, but it is not forever. And then we do this other thing. Once the emotion that felt like it was gonna last forever, the panic, let's say, once it actually does pass, Then we feel fine and we go about our day and we do some other stuff. And then a bit later, we get another wave of panic because we go on Twitter again or whatever. Someone sends us an article and then we feel panic again. And in our brain, in our memory, we start to connect the two panic experiences into one. And we create this impression that we are globally, chronically feeling panic. Even though what actually happened was that we had two discrete temporary instances of panic, in our brain, we're connecting the dots to say, I am panicking. And we start to believe, we start to really like identify with the panic. And so it feels infinite while we're feeling it. And when we're not feeling it, we are assuming that it's still true. This this is another classic mistake we make with emotions. When I used to feel sadness, I would take that as an example. Oh, there must be a deep and overwhelming sadness hidden inside me at all times, and I'm just hiding it. It's not really how emotions work. Emotions aren't like this infinite thing in the background, unless they are a frozen process or trauma that you're avoiding. Like That is possible. But generally speaking, actually, it's just that certain instances trigger certain emotions. And that doesn't mean that you are always filled with sadness. It just means that when I'm triggered in this way, it triggers sadness. It's it's temporary and it's specific. It's not universal and global. Once again, it's kind of the difference between shame and guilt or the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. When you start to view your emotions as this like endless thing hidden somewhere inside of you that you just sometimes notice and feel, I don't think that's accurate. And I think that's a disempowering and shamey way to look at it. It's a fixed mindset. Actually, I think emotions are created spontaneously when they're triggered. So it's, it's not like I have this deep well of sadness. It's just I'm a human being who, of course, like all humans, is designed to create sadness At certain moments for certain reasons. And it's the same with shame. You know, throughout my life, shame has been triggered very consistently around the issue of me being gay. So I always kind of assumed, oh, I have deep shame about being gay. But that's not really accurate. Once again, that's combining these discrete instances into one. It's more accurate to say, well, like all humans, I feel shame, and I have certain triggers for shame, and one of them is around issues of homosexuality. So anytime that comes up, I'm liable to be triggered with a discrete and temporary moment of shame. But that doesn't mean that I am deeply full and riddled with shame about it all the time. No, it's just not true. Shame is created on demand when I need it. And when I disidentify from this idea that I am deeply riddled with shame around being gay, it actually opens up a bit more space. Yes, I will potentially chronically be triggered to feel shame around those issues, but the image of myself is so much more pleasant when I recognize that that doesn't mean that it's a universal shame that's hiding behind the surface at all times. So it's not really accurate to say that I am panicking or I am terrified. No, right now I'm speaking into a microphone and actually I feel kind of excited. I feel fine. But I know that I will be triggered again into some waves of panic, but they will pass. And I know that I will be triggered again to feel some waves of hopelessness or meaninglessness or fear or anxiety. And those too will pass. None of those emotions define me. I'm available at any time to feel any emotion, including a bit of peace, a bit of curiosity, a bit of hope. And when I assume that I am riddled with shame or riddled with panic, I don't actually allow myself to entertain that I could feel happiness, that I could feel hope, that I could feel joy. I'm doing myself a disservice By buying in to this idea that my emotions are always there in the background and that they are my deep, dark truths, or that shame is something that is always weighing me down, it's just not true. So in this time of uncertainty, of course, all of us are going to feel waves of negative emotions more than we probably were before this came up. But that's okay. Of course, we're feeling that. No wonder. Look at what is happening. It makes complete sense. And I I urge you to accept those emotions and to take a moment and to feel them with self-compassion to hear their message, and to let your body process it. And then there's a very important final step, and that is once you've let the emotion work its course, once your body has processed it, once you've done the curiosity to figure out why it was there and what its message was, then you can say, but is that true? For example... I might feel shame because someone made a weird look. So I'm I'm feeling that emotion. I'm saying, of course I'm feeling shame. It seemed like that person didn't like me. And I just let that feeling work through me. I let it pass. And then when I'm no longer in that emotion, I can say, but is it true that that person didn't like me? No, I have no way of knowing that. That is not true. So it's kind of a both and. When I'm dealing with negative emotions, I find both-and to be such a powerful tool. First, I accept the emotion completely without judgment, and I feel it. And I just, I, I lather myself with that self-compassion of, of course I'm feeling this. And then I get a sense of why I was feeling it. And then I do the both-and of saying, but that isn't necessarily true. In terms of shame, I can kind of sum it up as, Of course I'm feeling like a bad person, but that doesn't mean I am a bad person. Of course I'm feeling panic right now, but that doesn't mean I need to act on that panic. Of course I'm feeling hopeless right now, but that doesn't mean that there is no hope. When you're in the emotion... It's not a great time to look at reality because, as I've discussed, that emotion is coloring reality in a very powerful way. And the best way to get that emotional lens out of your eyes is to feel it completely and embrace it. It seems ironic, but to embrace that emotional contamination fully is what allows it to process and move on. And it has given you a message about fear or shame or hopelessness or whatever. And once the emotion has passed, you can then look at that message with your clear prefrontal cortex, with your logical brain, and say, but is that true? And it may not be. Or there might be some really powerful wisdom that you got from that emotion. Even if you disagree with the emotion, I think it's still something you need to honor. It's a message that says a lot about you. I honor that I am designed and I was conditioned through shame to feel like a bad person around certain issues. That's that's a very important thing for me to honor about myself. And when I honor that, I can understand what's going to trigger it, how to avoid being triggered, how to manage that feeling, how to counter it. So it is really important. It is a truth about me. It's just not actually objectively true about my value or, or or about the world. So those emotional messages are very wise and very important, but often not true. Either way, you can get valuable information out of them. And you want to feel them, you want to embrace them, you want to process them, and then you want to look at them logically and say, what do I actually want to do with this message? How do I actually want to react? How do I want to behave? How do I want to respond to this within my integrity and within my values? And if you try to respond in the emotion, you're probably not going to hit your integrity or values bullseye. And if you go into numbing or pushing the emotion away, you turn it into a kind of trauma. And then you really just can't even think about it anymore. You just can't even go there because it becomes this frozen process. Don't ever let anyone or even yourself try to convince you that you shouldn't be feeling whatever you're feeling. I shouldn't be feeling shame right now. I didn't do anything wrong. There's no utility to that statement. You're feeling what you're feeling. And when you look at it, you'll actually say, well, of course I'm feeling shame. I always feel shame in situations where this happens. And though logically I know I don't need to feel shame about that, I'm conditioned that way. So you have to be careful about where you place the logic part. If you place the logic part before the feeling, thus stopping your body from feeling the feeling, it's it's really not helpful. The correct order is to feel the feeling completely and to to accept it. And then when it's passed, to go into the logic that says, yeah, but that's not true. That logic isn't rejecting the emotion, it's just offsetting it, it's counterbalancing it. And if you go into the logic too soon, it's going to be an attempt to stop yourself from feeling an unpleasant feeling, mostly because you don't want to feel an unpleasant feeling. None of us do. I mean, unpleasant feelings are designed to drive us into some kind of action that's supposed to mitigate the unpleasant feeling. That's how shame controls us. That's how pain controls us. That's how fear controls us. That's why it's so important if you don't want to be controlled by your shame or your fear, to just feel it and let it pass. When you get comfortable with discomfort, you can just sit in it until it passes because all emotions pass when you feel them. You could almost say that shame, pain, and fear don't want you to just feel them. They want you to act. They want you to react in an emotional way to try to save yourself But actually, because the world we live in is very different than the world in which our shame, fear, and pain were evolved, we want to give ourselves and our logical brains a little bit more input than just being driven by our instincts. And to do that, all you have to do is just not react, is just sit in that discomfort and feel it and say, of course I'm feeling this. And just give yourself that little warm self-compassion and acceptance as that emotion passes. And once it's gone, we have the logical faculties to then react in the way that we want to react consciously as opposed to just the way our ancient instincts want us to react. So right now, with what we're going through, I I really encourage everyone to look at how they are doing their emotional dance and try to play with it and figure out what the best way is for you to get through these emotions in a healthy way, receive their messages, and then work with those messages realistically and logically. And my recommendation is try, of course... And then try a little curiosity, if need be. Try to avoid rumination and try to avoid your negativity bias. And once you feel like that emotional process has been regulated and you have a sense of why it happened and what the message was, make sure that you look at it in the clear, logical light of your neocortex, this, this miracle of human evolution. Make sure that you use that brain to say, but is that true?